We're recording already, so. Oh, we, we are? Start when the. Yay! <laughs> Hi, Sally. <laughs> hey, Tyla. <laughs> oh, How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I don't know. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel that's like usually I'm like, I'm great. I have a headache right now. Right, right, right. Well, that's okay. Well, it's it's going to be great. It's going to lift. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to change. By the time we're done, I'm going to feel fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so good. Mm. I'm excited. <sighs> What's the best thing that's happened to you since we last spoke? Friday night, I went to a preview, screening, sneak peek, whatever, of the Hamilton documentary for PBS. Ooh. That was a lot of fun because it was also Hamilton's L.A., which they're really great and they're in several cities across America and they do Hamilton sing-alongs they were there and so that was even more fun than you can possibly imagine like in my <laughs> head for months now because I've known about them for months but I haven't been to one and so in my head I had like a certain level of fun and awesomeness around it but it was actually even more fun and awesome that's so great that was great and how was the documentary so good I'm so excited to see the whole thing Oh, it wasn't the whole thing? No. That's weird. Yeah, it was interesting. Also, one of the guests, which was interesting, was like an improv theater group where they improvised a Shakespearean play for us. It was a lot of fun. It was really, (laughs) really funny. So that was fun. It was just a really good time, even though I almost missed it because they like we were online for like two hours and then at one point I was like okay I should really go get food because I now haven't eaten in several hours and I won't be eating for at least another two hours and so I went to a Starbucks which is only a block away but they started letting people in as soon as I left apparently but Yamel's phone wasn't working so she couldn't call me oh boy uh, it was such a mess and so like if I had shown up even a few minutes after then they probably wouldn't have let me in because it started to fill up right after I got there so, but I did, and it was great, and that was the best thing that happened to me since Hooray! we last spoke. Look or at that divine timing. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> and I got to drink my entire, I got like a nice salted caramel mocha, which is one of my favorite drinks in all of life. I got in a tall because I was like, let me get some nice energy and a tasty treat, and I drank the entire thing between my walk, that one block walk, and the time that I waited online until I went inside. So I was able to drink my drink because, uh drinks were not allowed in the thing so oh I was like why are you sharing this but now I see yeah 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 so it really was all perfect like perfectly timed it was amazing good I'm so glad what about you Tyla oh boy I don't know I don't know (laughs) so much is happening (laughs) um so one of the best things that's happened to me is I I finished watching the last season of Orange is the New Black, and the finale was just, like, incredible, and it gave me some insight into some things around the Black Lives Matter movement that I hadn't understood, and then I had the privilege, right after watching it, of attending a show that Matt was acting in, and it was a show of white actors who were embodying the experiences of people who have experienced police brutality and it was like using straight transcripts from victims and friends and family 
and it was really incredible and it was just like this whole night was kind of like conspiring to give me a much deeper understanding of what Black Lives Matter is and why it's so important and uh, that sounds awesome yeah it was awesome it was heavy you know which Mm -hmm. is why it's like you know when you're like what's the best thing that's happened it was like a very heavy experience and it also made me kind of like reevaluate some of the ways I have chosen to speak up or not to speak up in certain situations and to go deeper into the choices that I made and to look at why I made them and to reevaluate whether or not those choices are valid for me as who I am now. Mm. And the interesting thing is that they're not and I require to start being a lot more vocal and you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Life's great. So there was a lot. There was a lot. And then and then last night was the presidential debate, and I got in a big, oh, big argument with my boyfriend's dad. <laughs> and that felt out of character for me, but I think it was actually really good for me because it also helped me speak up in another way and kind of solidify my beliefs in another way and it just feels like all around in my life right now I'm being asked to stand in my truth more firmly than I ever have done before Mm -hmm. even when it's uncomfortable and it's just something that keeps coming up over and over and over and it's like okay I get the message (laughs) let's stop having these little mini lessons now because they're not necessarily totally enjoyable in the moment (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (sighs) anyway speaking of standing in the truth Yes. The guest that we're going to have on today, who is someone I've been friends with for like a couple of years now, just informed me that I've been saying her name wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad she finally stood in her truth and was like, can you <laughs> learn to say my name properly before we record this? So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest, Limor, to the podcast. Woohoo! Hi, Limor. Tyler, your pronunciation was beautiful. Yay! <laughs> I did a hand gesture with it. <laughs> oh my god, that's so delightful. Well, I always have this theory that everyone that I've been really, really close to in my life, either, like, somehow never, both of, like, my major relationships in my life with men, they just automatically knew how to say it, which was really Ooh, weird. It's like they sensed it. Yeah. And then... With other close friends, I've I've had some friends like that, and then I've had other friends who, like, at a certain moment have gone to me, wait a second, you say your name different than I do. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, let's talk about it. <laughs> so I'm glad we've had that conversation. Thank you for taking part. <laughs> this is great. My total pleasure. It's so funny, and I would like to say that I blame other people. Because that's how most people say your name. I think most people say it wrong. Well, I've learned that <laughs> I've learned that it's it's hard for a lot of people. I think just because of how it's not an American or it's not an English name, and mm-hmm, how English mm-hmm. is set up sort of works against me. Your name, my name. It works <laughs> against my name. It works against being um, having a crazy name. I feel I feel you. We can edit this out if necessary, but because I have an American name or English name, and I am not American or English speaking, so most people well, you do you, speak English. Well, yeah, but that's not my background. It was not my first language. Just saying. So most people 
I mean, they still don't know how to pronounce my name if they speak Spanish or if they're like from DR, they don't understand. They're like, your name is Sa Sally? <laughs> why? Like, there's two L's in there. Why can't I pronounce that as a Y? Why does it have a Y at the end of it? Well, what is like, happening with your name? In France, they think that I'm Tila. Yes, yes, that makes sense, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tila Tequila. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in France, you would be, you would be Sally, which I think is Yes, fun. which I say, yeah, which when I'm in Paris, I say it that way, and then they think that I speak French, and it's great. Oh, yeah. But, like, if I go to Starbucks and I say my name is Sally, even if I'm speaking French, then they reply to me in English. Uh, but if I yeah. say I'm Sally, then they're all about it. Can't win. Well, listen, what... Uh, what uh, gosh, the names. My aunt's best friend, they're Israeli, like how we're about to discuss being Israeli. Don't give and, it away. And, uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Forget Sneak that. Peek. Uh, forget that part. Yeah, edit, edit, edit. It was just about giving, being smart and giving your child names like Maya and Gil that could work like in any countries but are still mm. of your ethnicity is a really smart mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a kindness, really. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I guess we should get started. I guess so. This is great, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Limor, I want to invite you to close your eyes and take a deep breath and think back to how you were feeling a year ago today and share with us in one word what that was. Present. Hmm. Present, yeah. So a year ago today, Limor was visiting her grandparents in Israel and seeing them for the first time in two years? Yeah, two and a half years we hadn't seen each other. It's a long time. Yeah, it's too long. Hmm. Um, uh, but it's been an interesting history we have because previously I hadn't seen them maybe for seven years at a time or is that just because they live so far away that's because when I was 11 we moved from the Bronx to Israel to the village where my dad grew up and it did not go very well and when we came home, my American mother said that uh, her, my sister, and myself would not be going to Israel anymore or mm. speaking Hebrew anymore. And we didn't go for seven years. And my dad continued to go twice a year and see, see my grandparents. And my grandparents came once when I was 16. But otherwise, yeah, we were, um, we were separated for a really long time. No lack of love kind of amazing how little of a lack of love and closeness there was, even if you didn't even talk on the phone for a while. Um, that's a lot of what it makes me think about this topic. Mm. Wow. Was that hard for you when your mom kind of made that decision on, on your behalf? Well, I was 11 and I had just lived a really horrible year where my parents, my parents met in Israel as young adults, and my dad came from this little kibbutz in this little tiny sort of countryside town in a valley, and he moved to New York for my mom. And then we were born, and 
all this time passed and my dad started wanting to know when it would be his turn for us to go back. And um, my mom said that after I graduated elementary school, that it would be, we would go. And mm. they, their marriage almost, their marriage bore a lot of attention because of that. So we moved to, so we moved uh, there and I was in sixth grade at the time. And I was told I would have to repeat fifth grade because the school where my, where my, in the town we were living in was a really good school. And they were pretty confident that I wasn't going to be able to muster up to sixth grade there. <laughs> but, uh, somehow I defeated all of their expectations I was like, they don't know you, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not know me. And then once I showed up in that class, uh, it was really hard. I was intensely disliked, <laughs> mm. uh, very intensely disliked. And I had a really hard year. And um, essentially what happened to my family, which we can go more into or not, or I don't know. But uh, was that we were told that we were essentially exiled from where my dad grew up. We were told we were not welcome to, to stay <laughs> mm-hmm. because my family had taken on a really different life that wasn't compatible with the place or certain t- types of ways of life they were holding on to that were like slipping out from beneath their feet. It was very complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so was it hard for me at the time was the initial question. I think I was thrilled to be home. I had blocked so much of it out. And I think, I wish I knew how I felt. I wish I could go back to standing in the kitchen and having my mom say to me, don't call me Ima, which which means mom, mother mm-hmm. in Hebrew. She would say, don't call me that. I don't want to hear Hebrew. And, and it just was not a part of my life anymore for a little while. I wish I could, like, go back into my body and see what I thought of that. Mm. And what I thought of it at 14 and 15 and 16 when my history teacher assigned me and another girl who happened to be Israeli in the class a project on human rights violations in Israel. Oh, wow. And he was such a genius for doing that. (laughs) Yeah, props to that guy. Oh my God, Bear Faithful, love him. See him. I see him around on the Upper West Side, and I always say hello and thank you. If you're listening, Baird, <laughs> he's a good guy. Oh, that's so incredible because it's like when it's like you're you're not only being told like okay, we're not going back to this place that has been a sort of home, but also like we're not going to use that language anymore. And, you know, it's so funny. We started off talking about language and that this is coming up so quickly because it's like language is such an important part of identity. Mm. I love that you say that. I am blessed to somehow speak three languages. Mm. And I truly believe that you take on a different life, a different personality, and different aspects of yourself come out very effortlessly when you speak a different language and speaking Hebrew now that I'm so lucky to have the language back speaking Hebrew is a really emotional experience and something I feel very lucky to have and um, I 
feel very lucky that my father gave me and it's opened a door for me to be able to understand my family to communicate with them and to really the feeling I feel when I'm around them is that to say anything that I want so that I'll be left with no regrets Mm. and the fact that I have the language to do that is something I I am grateful for really every day yeah that's so gorgeous and so powerful I know that part of what stops me from speaking languages that I technically know but don't know very well or like don't feel that I know well enough to fully communicate like what I'm actually trying to say like which is interesting because then sometimes like I'll start saying things that I don't realize I know how to say in Spanish in particular and then when I'm done I'm like oh well okay that (laughs) that worked out better than I was expecting it to, but then I, like, stop myself if I have any kind of question of whether or not I'll be able to really say what I truly mean. So that's really so awesome that you can, like, really be in that power. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how it can surprise you, right? Yeah. Um, and I've seen it in my own family, the lack of ability to communicate or the... Uh, the fear, totally, the fear of what you have to say and how to convey that. I've seen it in hilarious ways, <laughs> and I've seen it in really heartbreaking and, and, and painful ways, too. Well, I mean, communicating with your family is hard enough without <laughs> a language yeah. barrier. In one mm-hmm. language. <laughs> I mean, given my experience last night, even, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. we there was this point last night when we were talking about the uh, presidential election coming up and we were both yelling and that's so not like me and it's also so not like my boyfriend's dad and you know I was thinking about it last night and then again this morning and I was like what a shame that that's how we feel we have to speak in order to be heard that's really funny considering that like part of the critique and like the hilarious like feminist critique of Donald Trump is like he just yells and thinks that it makes what he says true and you're like but that's not how that works (laughs) yeah that's not how that works just because you're yelling doesn't give your (laughs) your argument any extra weight yeah um really damn it I didn't realize that (laughs) shit (laughs) and that's not in reference to Donald Trump at all that's in reference to myself yeah Um. and I don't know then in you know and that begs the question so why was I yelling Mhm. Mhm. Well, hmm, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone can be blamed for being angry in the face of Donald Trump, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah. It's true. And actually, I was thinking of it and we're really off topic here, but that's okay. But this is great. I was it's thinking all related. of it and I I was like, you know, why why do I care enough to yell because I realized that it's because I care so much about the person that I was arguing with and because I believe so much in his capacity to challenge his own worldview. And that's like, so the yelling comes not from a place, yes, it comes from a place of anger, but it also comes from a place of love. And I think that that is something that I never really have understood before and actually is such a complicated thing because it's like, Love is weaved into so many things that we do in ways that we don't even understand. Mm-hmm. Like your mom deciding, like, we're not going to go back to Israel. Like, 
there was a lot of love, self-love and love for you, you guys in that decision, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I, I have no doubt of that. Absolutely. I mean, for it's interesting, the parallel in, in my family and our experiences, because for her and me, it was particularly difficult. And I think she just knew this isn't what's best for our family, uh, you know, and it's been one of the things I thought about as this episode was coming up over and over again was just when you have a relationship to this other place where you live, but you don't, and it's a part of you, but you have this whole other life, it's a real emotional roller coaster interacting with being and relating to that place. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was younger, so we went to Israel for the first time when I was 18. And I always say it was my first time because that was when I really met my family. And that's when I was really sort of choosing for the first time, like what was important to me as this autonomous person in the world who had just been a, been a freshman in college living alone on 12th street mm. and sort of intoxicated by the world. And we had such an amazing experience. My parents were incredible and they sent my sister back every summer after that. So every summer through college, my sister and I would go alone to Israel. And when we would get there and get to my parents suddenly so quiet and crickets and nothing happening kibbutz, the village where my dad grew up, kibbutz Kineret is called, I would feel like there was so much turmoil happening inside of me. Mm. And yet nothing was happening around me to sort of, nothing obvious was happening around me to inspire that. I felt very shaken and very literally like I was on a roller coaster going up and down, up and down. And it was particularly, I think, being in this environment, in the house my dad grew up in and all the history that that carried. And then we would leave and we would travel all over Israel and go to Tel Aviv. And once we were in a city, I always felt more at ease mm -hmm. versus what the topic at hand, I suppose, is today, which is this trip last October, where looking at the valley and the mountains and the trees, I was just like, I feel more grounded and home here than I ever have before. Why do you think that was on this particular trip? I wonder. I don't know. I, I think, I wonder if it was just time. I mean, looking at that, um, those emotional roller coasters I would feel when I would get there when I was a little bit younger versus now. And, oh, there was this moment. I don't think I'll ever forget this. You know, my grandparents are Moroccan immigrants. They're country people. They're farmers. It it blows my mind saying that aloud. Like I grew up in the Bronx. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I think the greatest fortune of my life is like the fact that I can say this. Like, what? <laughs> And there's so many moments. There was a moment on one of those trips when I was in college. My, my sister and I were driving in this little tractor. We call it the tractoron with my, with my grandfather. And we were both wearing huge, at the time, the Mary-Kate and Ashley sunglasses were really in fashion. Yes, Mary-Kate and Ashley for the win. We all had them. 
and <laughs> mine were tortoise shell. And I was wearing some ridiculous necklace and this, I was, you know, this crazy dress with giraffes all over it. <laughs> My sister had similar sunglasses and I'm sure a, sim- a similarly flashy outfit. And we're like driving down this country road with my grandfather who has this very particular smell that I love so much. And when he drives, I always love to look at his weathered hands, his farmer hands. And I just thought to myself, oh my God, like in what universe am I sitting next to this person? (laughs) Not only sitting next to them, but calling them my family. So back to the initial thing I was going to say, um, little auxiliary offshoots and sparks of stories. I hope this is sensible to the listeners. I, I, I think it will be. It's perfect. Yeah. Right. My grandparents are country people, like I was saying. They're very practical. And their house is very well kept and neat, but, you know, it's not some sort of beautiful – to me it's beautiful, but it's not some lavishly decorated, aesthetically pleasing necessarily type thing. And my mom said to me, she she loves my grandparents, and she she's just spent so many years there. She said, being in this house for too long depresses me. Mm. And I said to her, really? It only makes me feel warm and safe and, and home. Mm-hmm. And it was so exciting to me to feel more and more rooted in that feeling. So back again to the original question which was why did I think that I felt so rooted in it as a home, I, I think it might just be time and the, the realization that I am tied to this place forever. I really believe you'll never get away from who you are. You'll never get away from where you come from, no matter how hard you try. And, like, I'm really excited and moved and, and delighted and and emotional at the realization that like I am from that place too Hmm. yeah I think that the the land that you come from is this sort of like enchanting magical sometimes terrible thing absolutely Mm -hmm. but there is magic in it say sometimes terrible thing I moved to Paris after college which was something I wanted to do for a very very long time and one of the wonderful things about living in Paris was that Israel was so close so I could go be with my family so I went for three weeks um, and I had been through some really rough stuff in Paris I lost one of my closest friends she was sleeping with a boy I was in love with she didn't tell me see if she had told me it would have been okay because we were not together. We were just good <laughs> friends. And yeah, we slept together once. Okay. But, <laughs> but, uh, we were not, he did, he was not mine and she made it so much worse by hiding it from me. And I would say what, that was hands down, like the worst thing that happened to me that year. And, um, just as I found out, I was leaving for Israel very soon after. And when I was in Israel, I felt very sad and very disconnected and I, w- and I was worried because I'd had all these beautiful trips there in the preceding years. And I was like, did I, like, did I lose my connection mm-hmm. to Israel? Like, did I, am I not there? 
anymore. Like it's not having the same effect on me and that desire to hold that effect. Mm. So that sort of quote unquote, I don't want to say ruined, but that colored, let's say that trip. And then the next trip I had, wait, I have a question before you move on. Yeah, of course. So at the very beginning of this, we asked how you were feeling in one word and the word that you chose was present. And I'm wondering if in hindsight, you think that the reason that you didn't feel the connection on that particular trip to Israel when you were so hurt is because you were far more present to the hurt that was going on inside of you than you were to like your physical reality. I think that sounds, I'm trying to think, I mean, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Mm. I think I was really wounded and unsure of what to do. And it happened at an inopportune time, which sucked. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was, yeah, I was not, and I noticed it wasn't like working. And I, I, I noticed I, I wasn't relinquishing it. And I was like doing things to try to relinquish it. And it wasn't really working. So yeah, I would say so, Tyla. I <laughs> um, think that that hurt had a bigger presence for me than my actual physical reality, which I'm sure at the time I was very, I can't exactly recall right now, but I'm sure I was frustrated by it because I had this beautiful life in front of me. I was also alone with my family, which is not an opportunity I get very often. I was in Israel by myself and that was a gift. And I'm sure I wish that I was enjoying it more. And then I was angry at not enjoying, enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) I've had that spiral before where you're like, all I want to do is be present, and I can't, yeah. and I'm mad about that, and I'm mad about the thing that's keeping me from being present. <laughs> I'm just yeah. mad. <laughs> I think the trip that we're, we set out to talk about on this episode was so important to me because there were sort of two more times after that that I was back in Israel and feeling that my experience was colored in a way that kept me from being fully present or kept me from being to hold on to the sweetness that came from that trip. Um, I, the next time I went after that, I was, had just started into a relationship. So it was really, um, it was really hard to be away from him. And then the time I went after that, um, my relationship was in a rough place and it would only get worse. So Mm. I didn't get to hold on and I think I was super angry and then this trip became so important to me so that I could have again like a clean slate to be there for the reasons that I actually had been seeking all that time and I think I got what I wanted so I was I was really grateful for that how do you think that your your energy and your intention was different going into this most recent trip that we're talking about I think a year and a half or so before I'd been through a horrible breakup that really led me to, as a means of survival, thinking a lot about myself and noticing, noticing often in a very exciting way, things about myself, things I do, ways I am, patterns I I do that were either helpful or harmful and um, 
I went into this trip knowing that um, I could I could trust I could trust that I would be okay and I could trust that I would get everything that I needed and um, I could stay calm and be be receptive to what was happening around me and I could maybe relinquish some of the anxiety that I walk through daily life with I think I was in a good place going into it and really looking forward to that feeling of going back home, being in myself, being present, being attentive to every moment of the day, having no responsibilities, which is the magic of travel, right? <laughs> and, uh, and devoting, devoting myself to the, the people that I love during this sh- too short time. All of that was on my mind, I would say. How long were you there for? So I was there for too short. I was there for about 10 days. Mm. Yeah. And that's one of the hard things is like, that's always so upsetting. And one of the things that I would say really makes me so sensitive around this topic. Um, I get to see my grandparents like five days a year if I'm lucky. And, um, but what's so mind-blowing about that is that, like, the, as I sort of alluded to before, the love real is just kind of right where you left it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the relationship is just as intimate as if you could see each other anytime you liked, which is a really good lesson for me as a person who suffered from horrible se- separation anxiety pines for the people I love and it's made me notice and friends of mine in Paris too I'm like we could not see each other for two years and then you get back together and everything's really calm and wonderful and you're you don't do small talk with each other and you're there for each other mm-hmm. and it makes me just be like hmm interesting maybe you can try to understand that you don't possess people anymore <laughs> working on that one (laughs) does it quell your anxiety in any way does what quell my anxiety to have that awareness that the that the love is there and that the intimacy is there regardless of separation I think I worry and think about it less so now that you say it perhaps yes I think I'm unfortunately preoccupied by other anxieties that make me uh, feel unaware of like, oh, I relinquished anxiety about that. But yes, thank you for bringing that to light, Tyler. Well, good. Then I'm glad that we're calling it out. Congratulations. Yay. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's a beautiful thing to wake up jet-lagged at 6.15 in the morning in my room there and hear my grandparents in the kitchen and I hate mornings um, <laughs> and I hear my grandparents in the kitchen and I think to myself, I can't possibly legitimize trying to fall back to sleep right now. Yeah, you're like, I gotta get out there. <laughs> I'm so grateful I have that opportunity to feel that and do that and 
walk in the and when I'm with them my thoughts are just like ask them whatever question you want say whatever you want like this is your chance and I love now that I'm saying it out loud I love be feeling palpably like this is your chance like what if we could feel that all the time that would be awesome <laughs> we would all live differently yeah well listeners this is your chance <laughs> here's your invitation so i want to know your what did you ask them what was this we talked about how special this particular trip was to you and how grounded in you felt to the place and that you had that awareness of like this is my chance i'm gonna ask them whatever comes up so what what did you ask them what did you learn When I would get up really early like that, there, there are people who are always, always in the kitchen. They're always in the kitchen. They're always busy. You know, they're, we don't actually really know their ages because in Morocco <laughs> they didn't give birth certificates at the time. Mm -hmm. But they're heading toward their late 80s. Yet, where my dad grew up, um, when the old people, when elderly retire they don't really retire <laughs> they're, they're they're workers and that's their way of life and so just being with them and being available brought up so much like my at, you know 8 30 in the morning my grandfather would say he wanted to go get avocados and I would say can I come with you and he would say, sure. And I would go in my nightgown in his little tractor, that same little oh. tractor. <laughs> and with his weathered hands. With his weathered hands, his weathered, dark Moroccan hands. And he drove, He would drive. And the other thing that's so special about being in this place is that, and painful too, is that I could not be there for two and a half years, but I still know like where every road goes. I could still mm. see every corner and how the roads line up. And if I take this turn, where will it be? And if I take this turn, what will it be? So driving with him and just being next to him is such a sensory experience. Um, and I can't remember exactly what we talked about at the, on that little ride, but I do remember him just pulling up to this stand of avocado trees and pulling the avocados right off. <laughs> and um, and at one point he gave me a little driving lesson too in his little tractor. Hmm. And you feel so conscious of those moments of like just just sort of quietly be in this moment and feel it and learn from it. With my grandmother, she came to me once a couple of years ago, and she told me, I, I keep hearing this song in my head at night when I'm falling asleep, this old French song. And I said to her, really? What, what is it? And this is the other great luck of my life is that I speak French, and no one else in my family does. Hmm. And so when she sings in French or says little things from her childhood, I can understand her. And so she would sing me this incredible, like, French school children songs. And um, she's a bit, uh, she really doesn't like to leave the house. She's a bit agoraphobic. And she's frailer than my grandfather is. And when we come, it's beautiful to watch her kind of wake up. 
and we went to Turkey actually a year ago today we were in Turkey for a few days uh, just my mom my dad and I I was staying with a friend there and then we came back to Israel and when we came back from Tur from Turkey I'll never forget her face she couldn't stop herself from laughing and she was so happy that we had come back mm. and she was so giddy it was beautiful and then the next day she started singing this this French school children's song with these unbelievable lyrics that were like French French children have this reputation for being really naughty at school and, <laughs> you know, hating their homework and stuff. And she was singing this song with lyrics like, um, we, you know, we like break the, we break the chalkboard and we throw the chalk at the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like beaming and laughing as she, as she sings this. And, and my dad was there. And I mean, he was just ecstatic to see us connecting in this way. It makes him so happy that we have this relationship, but just to just to make them happy, <laughs> just to ask them to sing or ask them about what they remember or tickle them <laughs> or try to lift up my grandma when she which she hates when I do that. Um, that's uh, this whole time I just like, is this even real? Did you steal this from a movie? <laughs> I feel like this is a movie and maybe I've seen it. <laughs> oh my God, I should make it. I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of half Bronx, half kibbutzniks, Israeli Moroccans out there. There's really not a lot of us. Yeah, um, I mean, it's so gorgeous, and it is so um, so sensual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I feel like I can see it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm glad. I wish I could take us there as part of the podcast. Oh my god, that would be amazing. <laughs> we should start doing that. paid for everyone! I know. On-site recordings. <laughs> I wish. My dad is there right now, and it's it's so funny sometimes walking. I remember I was walking in Times Square like a month ago, and it was very crowded, and I was feeling overwhelmed and anxious, and someone passed, and just for a second I could, like, smell my grandfather. Hmm. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, I would know that smell anywhere yet. I wish I could just, like, summon it up, like, yeah. at will. But, like, I would know it. Like, it's just, like, old shirts and, like, <laughs> old shirts you've had for, like, 30 years and, like, crushed, like, like crushed earth kind of, I guess. I don't know. I wish I knew how to d describe it. And now when my dad is my dad is there, I just feel this sort of, like, this ache that I think will always be a part of me and who I am. And I, when I have the chance to sort of sate it and soothe it, I try to take advantage of it to the, to the fullest. Would you ever consider going back there for a more extended period of time? I was going to ask about, like, would you ever move back there? I don't think I would ever want to live there. I think another phase that I went through, I mean, I certainly couldn't live, you know, in the village where my dad grew up. Tel Aviv is amazing. I love it there. It's like New York plus a beach, and it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. It's the New York of Israel. I mean, it's an incredible place. But I think another phase that I went through was pushing away from, not only pushing away from Israel, but pushing away from my dad. Um 
I was so angry about the way that Israel did things and the lack of regard for human life and the total hypocrisy going on and feeling a shift also in my dad and him looking at things in kind of a conservative way. I felt like I was just trying to distance myself from that. And there were so many moments where I'd be sitting around the table, you know, with cousins who were born in Morocco and whose first language was Arabic. And they would say horrific things like the only, you know, the only, the only better thing than one dead Arab is two. And I'd be like, but you're an Arab. And I would say that I would very fearlessly and altruistically say that. And my family would fight with me that they were not Arabs. They were from an Arab country. They were born in an Arab country. They're Arab Jews, essentially. They're Jews of Arab origin, Moorish origin. And my dad's best friend's wife passed away a couple months ago. She once told Noli Moore that's like telling them that they're the devil. And I think I was really, 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 really freaked out by that injustice. And so that climate, sadly, is very present in Israel. If you go to Tel Aviv, you're sort of living in a paradise that's similar to New York, where you can kind of pretend that that's not going on. But um, I definitely have problems with Israel ideologically, for for sure. It's only getting more and more conservative. And it's something that I I try to, to shield myself from. I mean, the thing that's so gorgeous that just is, like, so present for me as you're talking is this idea, you know, we've talked a little bit about already how you can't get rid of where you come from and how there's kind of a magic in that. And as you're sharing about your family and they're, like, of Arab descent, but equate that with some sort of, like, devilry, it's like, (laughs) like a... What am I trying to say? It's also appropriate that I was talking about Black Lives Matter earlier because it's like this deeply seated self-hatred that you can't erase where you're from. You can't. And you can't choose to not be that thing anymore. And so to like compartmentalize so completely in one in one sense and and to speak so negatively of Arabs while being of Arab descent, when you really get down to the root of that, it is this form of insidious self-hatred. And that feels very present for me as you're talking. And I don't know. Yeah, I think one thing, I don't know, it's, it's complicated because my grandparents have now lived in Israel. They came to Israel at 18. And, um, They've lived in Israel for so much more of their lives, so much more of their lives than they have in Morocco. And for my sister and I, it was a huge dream to travel to Morocco with them and see the streets where they grew up. That was something we really wanted. And two years ago, actually, we started working on a trip and we started planning an itinerary. And we we wanted to do this sort of heritage trip with them. And they were not interested. Hmm. And that was really painful that they, they looked at it as unsafe. First, they looked at it as unsafe and were being kind of, you know, discriminatory. And then I started to realize that it just didn't really bear that much importance to them. But 
when I listen to my grandfather talk and the way his voice catches with this beautiful Arabic accent, that those are the things that I love about him the most. And he is nothing if not that, you know, that's, he, he, that's where he, he comes from. And that to me is what's kind of like iconic about him. But I think he, I think a lot of people from that generation who made these huge sort of emigrations like that, they really had two separate lives. And perhaps they were more willing to leave that other life behind. So it's interesting being the grandchild, being like, I'm interested in that other life. Mm-hmm. And for them being like, well, we're not. <laughs> well, what's so interesting, though, is that it's like you're describing them and you might as well be describing yourself, you know, like two separate lives growing up in the Bronx versus having this deep sense of home in Israel. And also earlier you were talking about the desire to like distance yourself in certain ways from parts of that identity, like distance yourself from your dad. And it's just really incredible, the parallels. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and again, I think if you look at what's really going on, it's this um, grappling to come to terms with who we are and the kind of control we have over that and and the kind of surrender that's involved in some places inside that conversation. When I'm when I'm there, one of the things that I love to do is go through. My grandfather keeps everything, and I love to go through the draws. That's how you know I'm from the Bronx because I can't say the word D R A W E R S. I don't know how to say that word. Yeah, that. Thank you for translating. I go. People. Some people legitimately look at me when like I'm crazy when I say that, and I'm like, "That's it. Sorry, that's what you're getting." I go through the draws and. Uh, ERS and and I love to like look at the old driver's licenses and the old like I- random ID cards and the keys so many keys and all these things that like make up my grandparents life and I found my grandfather's like work document from when he was 19 years old in Casablanca and I just looked at the photo of him and it was Oh, Tyler, you're going to love this. And Sally, too. But it just, oh, it just coalesced so perfectly with what you just said. It just crystallized in my mind. I'm like, this is gold. So I like, yes. <laughs> sorry to be referential, but. So I, I, I'm looking at this picture. I really have this theory that women look exactly the same as when they're a child, and men just look nothing like their childhood selves. Mm. I could not even recognize my grandfather. Like, he just looks like a different person. And I was just marveling at this beautiful document and this beautiful script address in French of his, where he lived and, 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 and uh, his picture. And I brought, we were sitting outside and I brought him the document and I said, look what I found. And he looked at it and he said, oh, yes, this was my first, you know, my working papers, basically. I was 19 years old. And I said, can I have this? Hmm. And he said to me, oh, no, you can't have this. I need to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's so perfect because maybe it is important to him still in some way where he comes from and his history and as much as. He may seem uninterested in it. Maybe he's not trying to deny it and saying it at the time. I probably thought, oh, damn, let me take a picture of it on my snazzy iPhone. 
and it's actually not so snazzy. It's a 4S, but (laughs) let's be real. It's not the newest one. I know. He has a newer iPhone than I do, but does he know how to use it? No, he doesn't In the kibbutz. He has no clue how to use it. It's just important to him to have it. And yet, he still wants to keep this Moroccan document from when he's 19 as a memento of where he comes from or what he's lived. Oh, this is fascinating to me. It's just like the like the things we choose to keep and the things we choose to never look at again and the places that we don't want to go back to and that we won't allow ourselves to go back to. Mm. And also like what might be available to us in those places if oh. we let ourselves go back. Yeah. I yeah. want to go to Morocco with your grandparents. <laughs> Tyla, can you convince them? Tyla and Sally? Maybe. They'd be like, like, wait, 80 you... years ago today. <laughs> oh my god, a special episode with Mikhail and Margalit Malka. On site in Morocco. They'd be like, that's going to be your first year ago today trip. Oh, my God. That would be incredible. That would be really awesome. You guys, I'm going to work on it. I promise. Uh, we'll write them a really good email to convince them. He can oh. read it on his iPhone. I'll, I'll yeah. translate it. I'll translate it. So do they speak in Hebrew exclusively? Well, your grandma speaks a little French. Yeah, yeah. I haven't really spoken much French with my grandfather. Uh, yeah, we speak in Hebrew exclusively. They do not speak English. Uh, mm-hmm. my grandfather says sleeping. He says like this, sleeping, sleeping. <laughs> um, my grandmother really doesn't say anything. Um, <laughs> in terms of in- her English knowledge. <laughs> oh my um, gosh, this is so funny. We just so we have Airbnb people that stay at our apartment. And- yeah. We just had this couple here from Argentina and like no English and Matt and I, neither of us speak Spanish and they were here for a week (laughs) and it was so weird and interesting because the, the man and they were older, so cute, but the man would like come in and he would speak to me in Spanish and you know, sometimes I could pick out a word here and there. So I'd be like, Oh, he's talking about like, I don't know, suitcases. Uh, definitely I don't know that word so that (laughs) he's talking about like the stove or whatever and but it's like I would look at him and I'd be like no comprende (laughs) and then he would just like speak to me in Spanish again and it was just I don't know why that's coming up right now but it was such an interesting experience because it's like you know this doesn't work you know I can't understand you, and yet. <laughs> well, you don't have any other choice. You're just like, these are the words that I know. I'm going to just repeat them. <laughs> it is totally, yes. It's such a fascinating experience. I During this trip, we went to Turkey, because I also forgot to mention the famous Carol Malka rule. My mother has spent so much of her life in Israel, she will no longer go unless we also go somewhere else. Um, so with this mandate... We have been to Greece, Jordan, and Turkey, Mm, all of which absolutely unbelievable. 
Turkey was amazing, and it was the first place I'd been in a very long time where I knew nothing, not even a hint of how the language worked or anything. Luckily, I was staying with a really close friend of mine from Paris who is Turkish, but I would love to go and explore on my own. And you would walk into a bar and ask somebody where someone was. You could not communicate in the same language. And... God, talk about being present. You're listening so hard to each other, <laughs> just trying to make sense of something and using your hands so much, it, and you're looking at each other's eyes and any mm -hmm. clues you can get to what this person is saying. I loved that experience. I found it thrilling. Oh, man. I There's so much that's, like, coming up for me, the things that I've, like, in, taken in in my life lately. I just finished reading... Elizabeth Gilbert's The Signature of All Things. Mm. Have you read that? No, I haven't. I, I was was that a newer book she wrote? Uh, it came out like two years ago, so I'm behind the curve. Okay, um, cool. But I'm so it. glad that I didn't read it until just now because I I received this novel so deeply, and I don't think that I could have done that if I weren't the person that I am right now. So I highly recommend it, but not but. And... One of the things that I was going to say is that there's a, this section, and I won't say too much because I don't want to give it away, but there's this section about communicating between two people with no words at all, and reading it was a very powerful experience for me because that's a kind of magic, and I believe that that kind of magic is possible. And you know, you're talking about how exciting it feels to be so present in trying to understand someone, and it's almost the same thing, like communicating when you have no words in common is basically the same thing as trying to communicate without talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Tyla and Sally, you should definitely both go see the play Small Mouth Sounds, because it's all about that. Mm. <laughs> It is currently playing at the Signature, and there is very little talking that happens over the two hours of the play. Oh, come on. I'm going to get off and, like, buy a ticket immediately. <laughs> it's incredible, and I saw a dear friend of mine who's a director that I work with for lunch this week, and she, she told me she was really anxious to talk to me about it. I was excited to, to hear that, and she said something so stunning. She was like, you don't need language to express humanity. And I was like, oh my God, what an amazing lesson as like an artist, a woman, a human, and being in this world, like, uh, it, it privileges, like, I'm really fascinated by the idea that it's very easy for us to be close to each other, like, very easy, it's just a choice, mm -hmm. um, and, like, that's just proof of it, that you can do it without words. You have the tools to do it. You have the humanity in the air around you. It just needs to be, like, activated. Um, yeah. And it seems so much like it's about... It's almost like when you do away with words. I'm thinking about the actual process of writing as you're talking. Mm. And sometimes I find, like, the words actually get in the way of the writing, and I'll have to stop and go in and be like, what's the deeper truth? What's the energy behind what I'm trying to say? And then, like, which of these words are not aligned with that energy? And it's almost like when you do away with the words, you can more easily get to the energy that's at the heart of whatever it is you're trying to communicate. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah. That, that met that, like, sense of meditating and how can you take advantage of that opportunity 
And if you can get so clear on the energy, and then you can add the words back in, think how clearly you can communicate. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I'm, this is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> back on the side of the communicating with words and how we have an opportunity to be present with each other always that opportunity is always there my mom always brings something for my grandma she usually brings her clothes and I have been thinking of this story that just came to me from this past trip that I adored she brings she used to, she used to make like she would bring my grandmother like flower dresses over the years because she would wear like a lot of sort of countryish dresses and over the last few years maybe she's wearing more like pants and shirts and my and my grandma would say something like uh, my mom would bring her something purple and she would go oh I can't wear that I'm too old <laughs> and I would say to her and I was so excited I could say to her that's basically like that's bullshit. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who said that? And then she would start laughing. And then my mom, I think that was another time. But anyway, this time my mom brought her like a fleece. I think it was like a light purple fleece. She brought her purple again. She brought her like a light purple fleece. And she was like, take, take Safta, my grandmother. She's like, take Safta upstairs to help her try this on. So I went into my grandma's bedroom with her, and I helped her, like, take off her shirt, which was, like, a really intimate moment mm. to share with, like, your grandparent that you almost, like, never see and help her put on her little, like, fleece. She's so cute. And I'm like, what do you, what do you think? And she's like, I don't like the color. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what color would you like? <laughs> and she's like, she she said in this cute little French accent, she goes, Bordeaux? Like maroon? <laughs> maroon? And I'm like, well, I don't know if they have Bordeaux. We can try and see. I was like, do you have a second choice? <laughs> and she's like, I don't know, maybe orange? And I was like, well, I'll tell mommy and we can look on the Land's End website. Oh my god, she's not a fan of purple. And she's just not feeling the perp. And she, so I was like, but if we couldn't say that and have that cute, funny, honest exchange, that never would have gotten said. Mm. I wanted to tend to her. Mm-hmm. That was the feeling I, I felt. Like, how can I, how can I tend to her? Hmm. Yeah. How can I help you? Yeah. What do you need? What do you want? I felt really. That was a huge priority of mine while she was, while I was with her, was tending to her and making her feel loved and seen and attended to, hmm. and um, I think it, I think it worked. She was really happy, and it was I. It was amazing to see her like that. Oh, I love that. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Sally, are you having a moment over there? I'm having all of the moments. So much of this has been reminding me of my one of my ayahuasca ceremonies, and so I've just like been like absorbing all of the things because I'm like remembering very 
either like very specific moments or just like overall shifts that came from it and so yeah so it's just really interesting would you Say like to more. share yeah oh i don't even know because there's like so many well, <laughs> but like I mean, talk, so... about, I, talk about your grandma i don't have a relationship with any of my grandparents um one of them was dead before i was born uh another one well both of my grandfathers I just don't really talk to and like whatever that isn't a thing and then my other grandmother the only memory I really have of her other than her smell so that was interesting that came up um was, well you know smell is like the strongest yeah. sense tied to memory yeah 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 you and Justin really love pulling out that stat you I feel like both of you say it often <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I got it <laughs> um, <laughs> But, um, well, it's true. It is true. I know. I I believe you. <laughs> um, but the only thing that I remember of her is when she once told us that we had to love her because she was our grandmother. And so, like, for the longest time, which I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, for the longest time in my head, like, the sense of duty and obligation was so closely tied to love. And wow. especially, like, familial relationships that, like, took forever t- for me to, like, really detach from each other Mm. but so I like that's me and my grandparents um but part of my ceremony one of my ceremonies this is not the same one that I've described before the one where it was like magical and it was the happiest time of my whole life this one Mm -hmm. was a different one where you just kept saying purple 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 yeah this one is different Um, this Sally is the and your one. grandma would not get along because <laughs> Sally's favorite color is purple. Yeah, oh, maybe no. I could, maybe I could convince her to love purple. <laughs> yeah, just like subtly like wear it around her exactly. on our trip to Morocco. And she'll exactly. be like, ooh, maybe I should look for a purple scarf or something. I'm only going to bring purple clothes on our trip. <laughs> Do it. I'm so, I love this. Personal transformation, grandma. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So good. So part of a big part of my ceremony was like, this is going to be weird to explain, but basically I was like, I felt like I was shedding the pain of the country of the Dominican Republic. And yeah, like, no big deal or yeah. Epic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it was like a lot of that and also very specific historical events in the Dominican Republic. So like the, a, a specific dictatorship and like women who were revolutionaries in that dictatorship and or against the the dictator um a lot of my experience that time was one of frustration because i kept calling out for people and i didn't know if i was calling out for my people so like i kept calling for like my mother and my father or my sisters or my grandparents but i couldn't tell if i was doing it as sally or if i was doing it as the women who i was embodying in those moments and so i kept being like feeling the sense of like frustration because not only could I not have that need met? Like none of those people were going to come to me, but also I didn't know who I was calling. And so I was like, even if they could come to me, I don't even know which one it would be. Like, I don't know if I'm calling the right person. So it was just really interesting. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it's like that thing where it's like, am I me, Sally, the Sally that I know? Or am I like me, Sally, a human who comes from this place and who is deeply tied to this history? Yeah. And which version of myself am I in this moment? Yeah, it was really, it was really intense. It was really beautiful in a lot of ways. 
it was interesting because like a lot of also of like what we've been talking about like I was born in the Dominican Republic I haven't been there I mean in at least 10 years because I start like I went when I was 18 so like 14 years I don't sometimes I can't do math usually I can uh, I'm pretty sure it was 14 <laughs> it's okay I'm iffy at math too you're not alone um so it's been a really long time I don't usually have any desire to go back there um I don't feel and like in a lot of ways obviously I feel very strongly connected to it as one of my homes but in other ways I don't at all and like yeah I mean home comes up on the podcast a lot when it comes to me so yeah so it's just like I was thinking about that too and like what are the reasons there are like very practical reasons that I don't like going back like I don't like mosquitoes why would I go to a country that's just full of them? <laughs> um, but like there are, I'm sure, like deeper reasons. And I've examined them over time. But like, yeah, this is just like bringing it up again. And like, you know, are well, there things that are to me like shift? you should go back there? I yeah, mean, if I we're going to make thought. Limor's grandparents go to Morocco, <laughs> then you have to go to the DR. That's part of the deal. But oh, man, I have to ask be you. a really big trip. <laughs> yeah, first episode Morocco, next episode DR. Um, Sally, do you watch Transparent? I do oh, not. I love Transparent, but I haven't seen anything from the new season. Okay, well, Tyla, you know about the second season then, and about the uh, one of the children of the Pfefferman family, Allie, mm. her preoccupation with her mm. family and her history and where she comes from and how trauma is perhaps like embedded in your DNA and that mm. your ancestors' trauma will help like determine the course of your life and what is will have an effect on the things that happen to you. And I don't want to give any spoilers because it's mm. so magnificent, mm. but season two has a historical subplot mm -hmm. that Allie in the season finale. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was just too good. I might have to say Allie in the season finale. I love um, how much we're talking about TV on this episode. Oh my God. Vital to discuss transparent in any it's conversation. It's such an incredible show. <laughs> Anyway, continue. Allie in the finale. Uh, <laughs> essentially, oh my God, you need to see this because it's exactly what you're saying. She experiences her history coalescing with her present in like a realization that all of her theories were right. Mm. Because throughout the season, she has this preoccupation with, like, what if the things that your parents go through and your grandparents go through, like, affected who you were on a genetic level and, like, determine mm -hmm. certain things about you, like I your mean, sexuality. Or... Which they do, and it is science. There's, like, science, right? What's that yeah. called? Something. <laughs> Didn't it come up on another episode? I'm pretty sure it came up in another episode. Anyway, go on, Limor. <laughs> I was just going to say you should really witness it because it is such a unique story yet something that I think you literally just said in your own words and so many mm -hmm. people could relate to it's an incredibly exhilarating and chilling and thrilling moment of like how close we are to our past like it's always mm -hmm. there and who mm -hmm. you are will show up in all these crazy ways well mm -hmm. and it's also like I'm just having this awareness of it's like what you choose to look at. Like if that kind of ancestral imprinting is in us, 
it's only about whether or not you choose to engage with it. Mm-hmm. And that engaging with it can be really scary. And that there can also be huge gifts for you inside engaging with those things. Mm-hmm. My mom has gotten, like, totally obsessed with genealogy lately, which I, I'm i not on, on board with. I don't think it's as fun or as interesting as she does. But I, I do think it's cool that she is trying so valiantly to engage so deeply with that part of who she is Mm -hmm. it's so interesting i i understand what you're saying sally about Mm -hmm. a lack of desire to go and just sort of feeling maybe like a little ambivalent about it i think that that's all a part of the the roller coaster with your relationship to this place that's at least my experience I recently had which I don't think I've ever experienced a feeling like I think I next time and I'm in Israel I want to buy like a Jewish like a star of David necklace Hmm. and I am not religious like I'm a (laughs) horrible Jew I was not bat mitzvah the story in my family is we had just moved from Israel and my mom was like we're not really into the religion thing so how would you feel if instead of a bat mitzvah we took you to see rent (laughs) you were like yes and I was like oh my god all of my dreams are coming true and uh, god knows that rent is better than any bat mitzvah you could ever have because it is a true coming of age well rent is like better than 99% of things that exist on earth I totally agree with you and I literally feel like it's uh something that just like courses through my vape I heard what you own the other day because uh. Adam Pascal and Anthony Rapp are doing concerts together Ooh, at they are. the moment and I was like just immediately got so emotional like I was like this mm. is such a part of my life that feels so it's like I wouldn't be me without this. It's so funny. I feel the exact same way. I got the soundtrack to Rent before I ever saw the show, and I was far too young, really. It was not age-appropriate, <laughs> but my parents didn't know. So not age-appropriate. And I used to, like, in, like, sixth grade, like, would, like, be in my room with, like, the black light on, like, singing at the top of my lungs to the Rent soundtrack, and, like, I can sing the entire soundtrack beginning to end, like, probably without any of the music or accompaniments or anything. And okay, so we need to have an episode of a year ago today where we just do that. <laughs> oh my god, that would be so fun. And I be I used to like have this really deep, deep desire to play Mimi on Broadway. <laughs> Wait, Tyla, this is a total side note. Did you see the ham for, the digital ham for ham um of the Angelica's doing out tonight? Uh I think I saw it, but I didn't click on it, but I'll go watch it. You should do it. It's really fun. It's not great, but it's really fun. Okay. (laughs) That's a total side note. Anyway. (laughs) I'm just so excited because I I love the lists you guys make of all the references we make, and our list is going to be so amazing. Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be great. I know. Well, you know what? I, uh, I feel like we should wrap up soon, but the thing that's coming to me right now is, We've been talking so much about how, how where you're from is a part of you, how, like, the place that your ancestors are from and the experience that your ancestors have is a part of you. 
and I'm now realizing, you know, just like we both just totally agreed and like rent is a part of who I am. That is part of my imprint. Mm-hmm. And so it's like we have all these imprints that we don't have any control over that we inherit. And then we have all these imprints that maybe we still don't necessarily have that much control over, but that we choose mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we get I... to pass it down. Well, I'm glad that I'm going to be passing down rent. <laughs> oh my god, rent is one for the ages. I just worked on a play, Tyla, that is everything that you just said. The play was about the parts of ourselves that we choose versus the parts of ourselves that we don't choose. Hmm. And uh, the main character's kind of undoing is is um, fueled by his simultaneous rejection yet magnetic pull toward the parts of himself that he didn't choose. Mm-hmm. And eventually he ends up having to, con- to confront it um, and to realize that it's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. You can't just put it in a box and expect to walk away from it or that it won't come knocking. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we've been talking about this whole episode. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. I'm moved by it, and I think we see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, it's constantly playing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In our, like, literal everyday lives. For sure. <sighs> oh, man. <laughs> well, Sally, do you have any other, any other questions? Lee Moore, do you have any other things that are really present for you that you want to share? I think if anything this experience of this relationship with this part of me has taught me to be open to say what you want to say don't be afraid and to just trust that like I know you know we're big fans of this idea here at a year ago today that things are, are going to go, the, the things will go the right way. Things will go the right way. Things will go the way that they're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Things will go the way that they're supposed to go. And looking back, and it just blows my mind, like, that emotional roller coaster that I felt at, as a younger woman thrust into this place that I my relationship with was so vibrant and, and twisted and interesting to now and it just makes me think of what I went to Israel for the first I guess I'll close by saying I went to Israel for the first time when I was six months old and Mm. my parents took a vacation to the desert they went for like four days and I was very small and they left me with my grandparents because my my grandfather is like he's like um what would you say I don't know. He's like this magical, like tender of children, like the catcher in the rye or something. He's incredible. Children will run from their own parents to him. Um, and they still do this to this day. And uh, they left me with them. And then my dad said that when they came back to the kibbutz, I looked at my parents like I didn't know who they were and I didn't want to go to them. 
And I think that feeling, it, I think that feeling has just translated to what I feel today. That feeling is still there. While you're talking, I don't know, Sally, if you can hear this or if it's going to end up on the final audio or not, um, but there's this weird echo thing that's happening with your microphone, and I'm just, like, sitting here being, like, it's so cool because it's almost like there's almost, like, things that you're saying, and the echo makes it sound like you're in a different place in time. Like, yeah. Can you hear it, Sally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so weird because it's, like, uh, it's like that thing we've been talking about. Are you the Lemur that is, you know, in New York right now? Or are you speaking to us as the Lemur who's so deeply grounded in that home in Israel? And I don't know, the audio effect is really, like, freaking me out. I love it. <laughs> oh, meant to be. Meant to be. Thanks, so, Staples. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Staples. That's why we had the whole... Um, rigmarole around the microphone is so that we could have that cool audio effect happening mm -hmm, everything mm -hmm. works out yeah <laughs> so Lemore, i'm going to invite you to close your eyes and take a deep breath and think about a year ago today and share with us how you're feeling now about it in one word calm mm. Peaceful, at peace. <laughs> and if you could speak to yourself a year ago today from the woman that you are now, what would you say to her? You belong in the fullness of life. Mm. And enjoy and enjoy enjoy that. <laughs> Gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> ah, wow. What a good episode. So good. <laughs> Ladies, thank you. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to find you on the internet, where would they do that? Yeah, I'm at on Instagram, this brick wall, <laughs> and um, on my website, lemoremalka.com. Great, and we'll put all that in the show notes mm -hmm. for spelling purposes. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Yeah, Sally, where can the people find you on the internet? You can find me at Sally Simply on social media and at sallymercedes.com for my writing and music and on unmutedexpression.com for business guidance and spiritual support. Hooray! And Tyla? Yeah, I'm at tylafowler.com. I have a blog there and I've recently started writing again, so that's exciting. If you want to check that out, you can like subscribe. That's cool. Oh, good. Um, and, yay! <laughs> yay! <laughs> I'm actually really excited about it. It feels really expansive and fun. So there's that. And then I'm Tyler Fowler on Instagram and Facebook and all that jazz. And, yeah. And if you want to learn anything more about our podcast, you can go to our gorgeous website, which is a yearagopodcast.com. You can follow us a year ago podcast on any and all of the social medias, except for Snapchat, which we don't do <laughs> yet. 
maybe ever and yeah <laughs> you, I, we keep going around and around i, I think, think you guys are a little bit above snapchat oh yay that's nice Great. good to know good you guys are a little know. highbrow <laughs> for the dog faces oh my gosh i don't know we should start playing with some filters those, like i like how they put like the dog ears on you or whatever i think it's funny or like the flower crowns Tyler's hilarious. Um, you can't even get twitter on, on board with twitter i think it'd be really funny if you got on snapchat Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, you can find us on some of the social media at A Year Ago Podcast, and you can email us about yes. anything and everything under the sun at a year ago podcast at gmail.com. That inbox is there and waiting to receive your words, so mm. please send them to us. And you can rate and review us on iTunes, too. Yes, All or wherever you're, wherever you're listening to us. We would really <laughs> love some more reviews. And ratings. Yeah. And you know yeah, what you yeah, can yeah. do? I thought of this earlier. You can just copy paste the same review across any and all platforms <laughs> just oh, yeah. to make your life easier. So if you already wrote an <laughs> iTunes review and you want to give us some Stitcher love, go ahead and throw that in there. But you don't have to. There's no pressure. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, you can do whatever you choose to do. <laughs> you guys, please do it. Thanks. <laughs> See, even Lemore wants you to do it. I do. I love it. All right. Uh, oh, wait. And then you can follow oh. Zena Hell. Z Y N A H E L. If you like our intro outro music, she's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, what SoundCloud. I keep for the last two days. I keep saying Spotify instead of SoundCloud, but she's on SoundCloud. Maybe she's you also on Spotify. You know what's cool is since <laughs> I've been doing the sound editing for the podcast, I've been listening to the intro outro music with better headphones than normal, and I am <laughs> really digging it so much more. It's like there's some really good drums happening. Yeah, it's a great song. <sighs> anyway, all right. I think that's everything. <laughs> Lemore, thank you so much for talking to yes, us. thank you. Ladies, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It was a delight. Yay! And I guess that's it. Okay, bye! Peace out. <laughs> bye!